0: Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our new Deeper podcast. This is episode four, and my name is Mo, executive pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and special guest and Bible teacher and our good friend, Tracy
1: Rogers. Thanks for joining us. Hey,
2: Mo. Thanks for having me.
1: It is, it's actually really great to have Tracy here. It's also, always, to, to me, it continues to be really weird to be referred to as the, quote, lead pastor. <laughs> well, that is your title, Darren. I know, but roll with it. Roll with it. We're glad that you are our
0: lead pastor. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know. Just... We so, are... <laughs> Continuing to dive into the book of Revelation, our current sermon series is The Big Reveal. And like I said, this is week four of that series. And this podcast dives into those things that maybe we couldn't get to on a Sunday, as well as current events. Because as it turns out, uh, right now, the book of Revelation and some elements in that book kind of do tie into some things that are happening across the country. And uh, it is it is a bit of a coincidence. And so we're just going to dive into some of these
1: things today and and talk about yeah. what it is the Lord <laughs> is doing across the country. Yeah, I mean, it'll uh, I, I, that meme that has continued to float around, of that lady, like, looking out, going, I'm just outside looking to yeah. see what chapter of Revelation we're on today, what part right. of Revelation we're on today. And then... Uh, my One of my favorite memes that keeps floating around is like the bingo, apocalyptic bingo. And did anybody get nunchuck bears? Because I didn't see the. <laughs> bear saw with that them. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> <Didn't, Right. laughs> we thought murder hornets were bad. Here comes the bears right, with nunchucks. Right. <laughs> didn't think of that. It was so good. Um, yeah, I'm actually. Uh, this is going to go out just a little bit later today on Wednesday because I've been down uh, with Dave Ramsey at Entree Leadership this week. Uh, and it's been super uh, amazing. And just to be around other. Leaders, um, and when you think about, like, I don't know, what is essential business, like filling up business owners and encouraging that felt pretty essential. So it's been been great, and that's why we're a little late today. Um, and it is a fascinating week to be talking about uh, not only Revelation, but we're in chapter 2 and 3. So if you were with us on Sunday, you know that we were outlining the what, what a Jesus church would look like. And Jesus has lots of things to say to churches uh, then- End now, and then I wake up this morning with um, a headline that uh, Andy Stanley in uh, Atlanta at North Point Church, uh, church, church uh, has uh, announced that they're not going to be meeting again until uh, 2021.
0: And at, at the earliest, he floated out the idea of maybe waiting until a vaccine
1: was available as well. So we could see. could be longer. Yeah. I mean, you know, you read something like that and think, what? Like I I just, it literally just took me a minute. Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't mean any disrespect to, uh, Andy Stanley or any of those guys. They're very wise. They're smart. They're experienced. They're competent, which is why I'm kind of paying attention. Like, okay, maybe if someone, you know, who is smart is doing this, we ought to pay attention to what they're doing and and look at it. And so I, you know, I read the piece. Um, I, 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 we're talking about it now because honestly, by the time this, Podcast is up. This thing will probably be viral already. He's getting ready to do interviews on CNN, and 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 he says that his uh, the reasoning behind why they're doing this is we his this is a quote from the article. We decided to focus on the 100 percent of all our church folks and their friends and the rest of the world that may show up later. To, to use a term I learned from you long ago, this is my missional decision. He's talking to Ed Stetzer, so he's we're gonna not meet because we're thinking about those who are not in the church. That's that's actually not a Bad thing. I mean, that's a good thing. We're thinking about people outside of the church. Um it's very outsider focused. And he goes on to talk about this is what I wanted to say though. He um the churches that are opening right now are seeing fifteen to twenty percent of their pre COVID population is who's showing up. I actually don't know where that number came from. Um but Mo, our number's are a little higher, right? Yeah, the
0: twenty 20- percent number I've seen floated out there between several churches as, as the return rate of people that are attending now which to me seems way lower than some of the conversations that we're having with other pastors around town but you know we're 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 falling into about 65% yeah. return um that are attending each Sunday from our normal attendance and I honestly think it would probably be Closer to eighty percent if we weren't broken down into three different services. We're trying to spread people out, stay so socially distanced. Um, yeah, and starting with the fact that we actually are maxing attendance, right? We're so maxing point, and capping yeah. attendance. Uh, I, I mean, just based upon you know conversations and and people we're talking to, I feel like we would be far far higher than that. So it's just really interesting to hear. You know, he's in Atlanta, so you know maybe the 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 pulse is a little different down there in terms of what people are doing. But a twenty percent return just seems.
1: So low. Yeah, it was fascinating to me. And and what he was saying here that I guess, uh, again, this is not a judgment against them and uh, not a shame against a church that size. But when you've got that many people, that does that's a little bit of a game changer. Um, but it felt like what he's saying is that we're going to spend all of our put it differently. He's basically saying this. It costs a lot of money to do a weekly church service. And if only 20% of our people are going to show up, then we would rather spend that money on online community. Um, That actually makes sense. If you have a TV department, if you have a creative department, Mm -hmm. if, if it costs you that much money to operate your service, I don't know. I feel like for where we are right now that this is one of the best times. I I remember saying this back in March. This is a time when the small church can rise Mm -hmm. because it didn't cost us that much to start to do a service on a Sunday. Like it doesn't cost us any less to not have church on Sunday. And uh, we can distance a little bit easier. We're not talking about tens of thousands of people. We're talking about just a few hundred spread out across multiple services. With it, and I I guess though that I don't know the here's why I wanted to bring this up this morning. Um, The way that Andy has framed it, and I'm sure that he didn't mean it in a way that that it comes across, but I've heard it from other people as well, and this is the way that it comes across: is we're doing this because we're loving our neighbors, Um, which would imply that hey, if if conduit or whatever church is opening up, that you don't love your neighbors, Um, and I, I feel like a that's a false choice um because what i would say and you know we opened up conduit it wasn't like we just flipped a coin and it wasn't like we just got our pitchforks and torches and said we're opening up we were like okay this is a definition not of of safe or unsafe as much as it is essential or inessential because right now in america people are getting on airplanes um because that's essential people are going to walmart because it's essential uh at least that's what we're being told um People are protesting in the streets in Los Angeles and Boston and wherever And because we're told that that was essential. And I guess where I'm at is who gets to make the decision of what's essential. And in a world right now where a mental health crisis just in our own country is skyrocketing, and one of the worst possible things, mental health professionals know this, is to isolate and to be alone for us to come together for an hour to an hour and a half and to do it safe and to do it sensibly to me that is loving our neighbor um that is loving a neighbor in a way and whether outsider or insider I don't know totally above my pay grade but if it's a question of loving your neighbor you know maybe Andy's choosing the outsider neighbor but I'm saying the neighbor I just feel like that's what the lord has called us to do and uh and based upon the response that we've seen from our people uh coming on Sundays, just the feeling of, I just wanted to be someplace normal again. I just wanted to be with people again. That felt pretty essential to me. Um, And others disagree. Others think that there are other better ways to do it. Um, But that's the decision that we made. And we, you know, when I think to guys like uh, North Point or even in our own town, like The Bridge or Church of the City, they're having a whole different conversation so i don't want anybody to hear me say that we're judging them or shaming them because they aren't opening and they're fearful and and i would also like to ask them to consider hey your language when you say you know we're doing this because we love our neighbor is insinuating that we're not like we're all on the same team here for the kingdom of god and so maybe the purpose of what uh, north point can accomplish is different than what conduit can accomplish but they're not incongruent goals if that makes no. sense yeah. Yeah. What what I think is interesting is over time this is going to play
0: out and there'll be probably a lot of different case studies and research on how the church responded to hmm. to COVID. But you know, for the past ten years it's been conferences and seminars on how to grow and scale your church hmm. larger and larger. Right, right. Right. And and what we're to me what I'm seeing, what I feel like we're seeing is yeah, it's there are there are tools there are there are um things that you can do to scale up your church what's seemingly very difficult is to scale down oh interesting yeah Yeah, scaling down is 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 really difficult for those that have scaled up to such a large size that reverse engineering is just not not working to the point where they would it would be easier just to not meet it all right right and i think there's potential danger in that like what we're talking about today
1: yeah, you know, so I'm gonna I'll lay this out just because we're on the deeper podcast. I probably couldn't get away with this anywhere else. But the parable when Jesus spoke about the mustard seed, when it falls into the ground, uh, it's the smallest of the seeds, but then it grows, and when it grows, it grows into this great and mighty tree, uh, and all kinds of birds will roost in its branches. And it was like this: uh, wow, that the, the kingdom of God is going to be massive. And but the problem is, is that mustard seeds don't grow into trees; they grow into bushes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if if that's true, then what he was describing was. Uh, Freakish uh, and not healthy, and, and think through this. He says birds will come and roost in its branches. Okay. Literally, the next parable he's talking about is the uh, the parable of the sower, the seeds, and one of the things that came to steal this is the word of God were the birds Wow, that yeah. came to pick away at its branches. It's almost like uh, the way that the kingdom of God was designed was. Better in small group get again, nothing against big ones but it just seemed like the story of scripture over and over again is God doing big things in small groups yeah. and, and you know Mo maybe you're right maybe it's part of God dividing not dividing divisionally mm-hmm. but dividing the church up to get us out of our buildings and get us back into our neighborhoods uh because what better way to empty uh, you know an 8 thousand seat auditorium than to uh, than a pandemic right
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: pushes them back into their neighborhoods, pushes them back into their communities.
0: You know, one of the things, besides Tracy being a um, fantastic Bible teacher, she also uh, leads a, a a yoga, what do you call it, a yoga practice? A yoga studio, studio <laughs> here in town. And so you've gotten some feedback even from your clientele on on community and right. in person versus not right. online.
2: So I manage a yoga studio. My best friend is the owner of the studio. And right When all of this started happening with COVID-19 and people were beginning to start the quarantine. And so we started with like, here's the gathering and then we need the gathering to be smaller and smaller. So we turned our classes to be maximum of 10 people because that was recommended on the largest number of gathering that should have. So we had 10 people per class. But we continued to stay open because part of what we do at the yoga studio, it's Christian yoga. So we are creating a worship and prayer experience through movement of the body. So we started getting feedback that you're not loving your neighbor. Like that's exactly the words they used to us. Like you should close. You should keep people away. You're not loving your neighbor by doing this. And our answer to them was just, We're hearing the same information that you are. We're just coming to a different conclusion. So it wasn't like in our mind, it's not like you're right and we're wrong. And that's where the conversation is going right now. It's like, you're right, you're wrong. It just is here's some information and we're all making the best decision with that information. And our decision was to stay open as long as we could because we knew it was a beneficial uh, practice. It was a beneficial gathering for our people. Mm -hmm. We then turned into the the shutdown quarantine everybody's home i get an email from the very same person who gave us criticism and he said i want to apologize and i was shocked like so many people would criticize us and we you just have to take that and be like that's fine and move on with your positive decision and he said now that i've heard more information i'm beginning to see more of the impact that this is having i think you guys did the right thing and wow, it was, that's yeah.
1: encouraging. I would, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm hoping for a couple of those yeah. emails. I haven't gotten those yet. I've it gotten was, the other ones.
2: It was shocking to to have that kind of thing. He goes, "I've I've changed my mind." Yeah,
1: but if you if you guys remember, we can take ourselves back because it seems like it's been five years ago, but it's like three months. A few weeks in, there was still a lot of unknown, just a lot of unknown, um, and so closing did feel like loving our neighbors, because if it's like Ebola, like people bleeding out of their eyes, right? Like if it's, if it's mass casualties, mass children, whatever, like that felt like that. But the information in three to four months, we hear a lot of people say, well, we just don't know. We don't. But there's a lot of stuff we do know. Like we know that in five to six months of this, that children are almost at zero risk, If like they actually stand more of a chance of dying in a car accident or in a backyard pool than they do. Of this, and that's readily available information on NPR, NBC. That's how you know that it's getting out there because if NBC or NPR has to admit it, like okay, well then maybe. And by the way, I've enjoyed the idea of. It feels like this is something where um, this is actually just flipping people, even their political idea. Mm. Um, people that we want, like so, like Betsy DeVos is very much about charter schools, very much about individual choices. She's yesterday on the news going, everybody's got to open all your schools. Like so, she's the charter school, you know, uh, is now flipping and saying this. Uh, with centralized power with it, and those in the progressive camp that have been telling us for how long oh Europe is crushing it with healthcare. the United States needs to be more like europe, and europe 's over there open at schools, Sweden is reopening society german germany 's open in schools and and but the progressives are like oh but we can 't uh, we can 't do that that 's too dangerous here uh, th- that 's either here neither here nor there it's, i don 't even know if this will make it out of the podcast but What I wanted us to say here, at least as far as conduit goes, is we're not making these decisions with a cavalier nature. Uh, I trust that microbiologists know more about microbiology, about uh, vaccines and virology. They They know way more about that than I do, but they know nothing about the human soul. They know nothing about emotional health And the trouble is, is that even before the pandemic, emotional health was already a red alert in our country. And now we've just poured fuel on top of this fire. And I say that as a church, we have opened, we're going to do it safe and we're going to do it sensibly. We're not doing it as a rebellion against the government. It's an allegiance to Jesus. And to me, loving our neighbor is someone who's in a mental health crisis, somebody who is alone, somebody who is on the edge of quitting of what they're not going to experience that on a zoom call, but in a room full of Jesus people, that feels essential to me. And I'm okay to take that risk and send your emails to Mo at (laughs) conduitchurch.com.
2: You know, Darren, along those lines, I find myself as a Christian who wants to look different, who wants to be distinctly different. We're called to be a light in the world. So there's something that we should be doing that is different from the world around us. But I kind of find myself asking, like, where's the line between fearlessness and foolishness? Like, yes, it's it's like I want to be fearless. I don't want to be foolish. And it's it's this line that seems to be moving. But I always want to be on the fearless side of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so in my life, the example is I go to Uganda. I've, I've got the yellow fever vaccine. Um, I, we I take malaria medication. You know but I'm not doing it because I'm a sheeple or I'm afraid or I'm just doing it because that scientifically, there's some proof of that, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, by the way, decades of proof of that, not three months of like what we think. Um, And i and maybe that's what, uh, golly. And actually we're going to talk about that in a minute here, a church without love, a church without passion, that we could offer ourselves that kind of grace in this climate right now to know that, Hey, someone who's wearing a mask, you're not a sheeple. You're not. You know don't be ashamed of that uh someone who is not wearing a mask they're not trying to kill your grandma like they're just not that's just not it are there f- people on all sides of fringes or whatever absolutely but man jesus in in love and in truth which i think is part of it i guess that's been, the hardest part for me has been i think truth is loving somebody and so when someone says i wear a mask because it makes somebody feel better but what if actually what would make them feel better was some science that actually helped them to understand, you know, the, the, the science behind it? That that feels like a better way to love somebody uh, than just to pre- pretend. Um, and I don't mean I'm not making any commentary on masks at all on that. I'm just saying that that's the most recent one. And God only knows what it'll be next week. I don't know where the end of it is and where the, where the line is. And so we're just making the best decisions we know with without the best we know how. Uh, we're not just going into a closet and waiting for a quote unquote word from the Lord. We're sitting in a room, we're wrestling, and then we're making these decisions. And I believe that we're going to hopefully save uh, lives, not virus lives, but emotional lives. And if you're part of Conduit, you know that every time we show up, see, people say it's like going to church at a GoFundMe. We go to church last week, somebody gives a check, and there's a family literally right now that just went free in Pakistan, like just now. Like I just got the photo before we went online here uh, with this. So that said, a Jesus church. I mean, that's what we talked about. Maybe that we should have started with that because that's all I'm really trying to say is how do we be a Jesus church even in a pandemic? And what we are building the basis of that idea is these seven churches in this book of Revelation. Each one has at the very beginning a letter from Jesus that is a sentence about who he is and then a, a sort of an exhortation that ties into that. And they sort of all tie in together. And I realized as we were all working on the sermon prep that if all seven of those things were present in one church, that's a Jesus church. Like that's just the seven, these seven elements of Jesus. And what we covered on Sunday was that Ephesus, it was about love. Smyrna, it was about faithfulness. Pergamus it was about purity. And Thyatira, it's about truth. Sardis, it's about power. These are the things we're going to talk about today. Philadelphia is mission. Uh, Laodicea is passion. Those seven things together, like that's a Jesus church all day long. And of course, Ephesus is number one because it's love. And of course, Laodicea is last because passion to, to not just grow cold in all of these good works. And so as we're going through that, I, I'm, I want to start with Thyatira because we ended with that on Sunday. And Thyatira was a church that the message from Jesus was that these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And that image evoked uh, the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. That's how that <laughs> weird. Did you guys have to memorize it that way when you were a kid? No, Shadrach, Meshach, no a I learned goat. it on Shack. Uh, Rack and Benny. That's the yeah, difference between 10 years of age, by the way. Because <laughs> when veggie Tales happened, I was a full-grown adult. Like, you were still... Uh, I was a teenager. Teenager. Shadrach yeah, well, and Benny. That's how we learned it. <laughs> so they're thinking of Shadrach and Benny uh, in, in, in the fiery furnace. And why that really spoke to me of what... Because what he says to them is that uh, that their problem was they were buying into... verse. So it's chapter 2, verse 24 about this doctrine of, of Jezebel and you don't hold to her teaching. You've not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Uh, I'm not gonna do, say anything, just hold on to what you have. They were, t- and, and what I was taken away from that is those guys in, in, in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's day, but also he talks about Jezebel. So in Jezebel's day, that when when lies and when false doctrine and when untruth is the main thing when you speak out against it Jezebel doesn't go quietly and we have seen that there are things that we say that if we say now that even just 5 years ago you could you could you could say and now it's hate speech and, and the idea I think what he was saying to Thyatira is uh, hey, you guys are crushing it when it comes to loving and to good works and all that stuff. But you have got to get your crap together when it comes to the truth, because uh, you, you when it comes to that, the sexual immorality, those things are that are pulling you aside, and you're going to speak up. It's not going to be comfortable. They're going to say hateful things. They're going to tweet you. They're going to do Facebook posts about you. They're going to. I mean, this happens to so many of our friends right now, and. Like Tracy, you were saying, sometimes you just got to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. If 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 our uh, litmus test is someone's mad at me, so I need to change my truth. I'm that's not. It's just not what the, the truth. I mean, the truth is that if it's true, then I just say it and let the chips fall where they may. And obviously, we're going to get to the part about love, so we do it in love. We don't want to be jerks. But I feel like in our culture right now that we're experiencing that more than ever. That someone who could speak just literal biblical truth, Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. Jesus, the Bible is God's word. Things we've just taken for granted are just literally mocked openly by that. And obviously Jesus said, be prepared. That's already We know that's gonna happen. But for us, we just have to remember that also means that we don't back away from it just because they're mad. We say, oh, that's actually how he said it was gonna be. And bronze feet in the fire, he's gonna be with us.
2: I've learned in my personal life that if everybody agrees I'm uncomfortable. And I know that that seems like the kind of thing everybody would would want is for everyone to agree with it. But I've just learned like, that's not good if everybody agrees, because that means it's not challenging you, it's not pushing you, it's not questioning, it's it's not forcing you to look and consider things. So especially in, in whatever I'm doing or I'm working on or if I'm ready to make a decision, not with my closest friends, not with those who I go to for wise counsel, but if I'm just noticing some like tertiary um, questioning or disagreeing, I go, oh, Okay, that makes me feel better.
0: Right? Because
2: everyone doesn't agree. And, and that's almost like a litmus test for me that I'm doing the right things, as I'm already getting some pushback yeah. on just the decision.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I always, I, a younger version of me, uh, younger by like, I don't know, like say three months ago, uh, I, I used to think that, oh, they just didn't understand me. So if I said it differently, then they'll understand and then they'll, they won't be mad at me anymore. And over the years though I've learned that oh no, they actually understood me the first time. They just don't like it. And so it's, <laughs> that's like that that's just the way it was with it.
2: You almost have to teach that to people though, because they just want everyone to understand. They want everyone to agree and it's it's just the opposite of what the Christian walk is.
1: Yeah. And that is um Man, if there's a message to you guys who are maybe millennial or Gen Y or whatever are coming behind us right now, there's this idea that uh, it's—I mean, it's happening in cancel culture. It's all over the news right now. You say something wrong, and you're canceled. And so that what that really does is make you want to not say anything at all because I'm so scared to say it. And I got it. I mean, if you're the enemy, that's such a perfect strategy in the church because um, I mean, I don't. I, I don't think I was fully prepared by how even the church would attack the church, even in in this day and age. I know in the old days they had denominational divides, and so maybe there's nothing new. I don't know, but being like when I've got the churches yelling at us, and I'm you know our our church does things differently. We're not doing it better. We just do it this way. But you know, the idea that if um, just because I'm doing it this way, I'm doing it right, and you're doing it wrong, and then the other way around, it becomes this zero sum game. Uh, I don't know. I I think from our perspective at a church that when someone says, "Hey, you guys use the Bible a lot when you teach," that's that's really interesting. That tells me, okay, we're in a culture that's different than what we grew up in. Because, of course, I'm thinking, well, what what do you use at your church? I'm not sure what you what you you do. Um, But even that is considered controversial. And I, I guess the the message that for this church for Thyatira is to conduit to, and I I maybe put it differently, to anyone who would be a Jesus church with these seven things in them, to the one who is victorious uh, and does my will to the end. uh, This is verse 26. I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them like pieces of poverty just as I've received authority from my father. I will also give that one to the morning star, whoever has ears, that is a very deep world that Jesus just uh, dumped into with that our the one who is victorious first john is those who believe this isn't about if i work hard enough then i can be like jesus this is if i am with jesus longer the longer i'm with him the more i become like him he who is victorious is just he who Believes And the point that he's making here to this church and to our church, and I would say this right now because I know we have listeners in Saudi Arabia, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, that your governments who are abusing and lording over you and it feels so hopeless to you right now, this works out in the end. If the end is just this world, then yeah, we all got a lot of problems. Let's go bury weapons in the backyard and get ready. But this isn't the end. We aren't at Revelation 22 yet where Eden will be created. And so those who have like that sounds to to our Western ears, that sounds pretty harsh. What Jesus just said, if you have uh, the family that was just released in uh, the other country, his daughter, 16 years old, had been repeatedly raped inside of this. That that language makes sense to you to to, the, to that person and I would just encourage you to if you're listening and think "Oh, this is offensive to me when we talk about privilege white privilege whatever privilege let's not forget western privilege we live in a system here where we don't have uh we have things that they don't have access to in in those countries and give them the, the freedom of that so that so thyatira is true the next one is sardis and Tracy I'm super excited uh that you're here for this especially because it you've done a, a lot of study and teaching around um what's the name of the, the the small group study that you guys and you hosted it at your house and it's on video and it's out of England and
2: uh, the alpha course alpha
1: course because the church at Sardis it was about the seven spirits who holds the seven spirits it's about the power of the Holy Spirit they were al- they looked alive but they were dead on the inside a Jesus church would have the Holy Spirit the Power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And he says in verse three, remember therefore what you've received and heard, hold fast, repent. But if you don't wake up, I'm going to come like a thief, which the Holy Spirit, if you again that language, uh, the parable of Jesus and, and the 10 virgins at night, they didn't have oil in their lamps. They, you know, they, he, he came in the night and they didn't have their oil. They weren't ready for it. But like Tracy, when you read that and you think about what the power of the Holy Spirit would look like in a Jesus church, like what what thoughts come to your mind?
2: I love thinking about the power that we get from the Holy Spirit. I think it answers the question when people wonder why different Christians seem to have a more vibrant life or they're doing bolder things. And uh, there's been a a conversation or this this teaching, and whether it's been overt or if it's been more subtle, but it's That the Holy Spirit, that there's something different about the Holy Spirit that they have that's making them more powerful, and they just need more Holy Spirit. And I just don't believe that. I believe when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit indwells you, like you have the Holy Spirit in you and everyone gets the same Holy Spirit in them. And then it's up to us at that point if we're quenching it or if we're um, leaning into him or using him in that manner. But we can't deny that there are Christians who live lives that look different. And so just through my teaching, and it's so funny you bring up the parable of the 10 virgins because it's the very next parable in Matthew 25 when God talks or Jesus is talking about The landowner who gives the talents, which is a measure of money, to his servants. He gives five to one, two to another, one to one. And in that parable, it says, they were given each according to their ability. Hmm. That word ability is the Greek dunamis, which is Ah. translated in the rest of Scripture, power. So they're given sort of work to do according to the power that they have wow and it's up to them then to use their power to take what's given to them and multiply it and we see he had five multiplied it it became ten. Two multiplied became two one didn't do anything with it buries it in the ground when the landowner comes back he's like you didn't even put it in the bank. You did nothing with it. And it says he takes his away and he gives it to the one who had 10, which tells us his ability grew hmm. so he was able to receive more. Interesting. So there's a power there. There's power that each Christian has. And we're, we're called upon to use the power to do what God's asked us to do. And I used to have this fear when I was a teenager That I was going to, I was praying, I was listening to God, but I will admit I wasn't just this fully surrendered person to God because I was afraid he was going to send me to (laughs) Africa. (laughs) And I didn't want to do that. I didn't I didn't yeah. want to go. So it was like, if I tell God, I'll go anywhere you send me. I'll do anything you tell me. I'm giving you my life. He would go, great, go to Uganda. And even though today that doesn't scare me, if he were to say that to me, it, it scared me. And uh-huh. so I was withholding from him. But what we have to understand is God doesn't take brand new. He doesn't take the person with the ability, if I can use the peril, of one talent and give them five right He he's, he's growing you and so we call it a faith walk we call it all kinds of things but there is more power that we have and it's up to us to use it this church in my opinion when I read it and I see you have the seven spirits you have the full Holy Spirit and you're not using the power you're not using what you've been given to do what I've asked you to do you're just dead yeah you're just not doing anything. and the the scary part when you look at the parable is he takes that away. It's not spiritual gifts. He won't take spiritual gifts away, but there's almost like, like, is there work that he's asking you to do that you can't do? Like I, I'm not exactly sure what gets taken away, but I do believe that your power can diminish and your power can increase.
1: Right, right. I, the beautiful thing about it that I just I think it's so good of God is that he doesn't call us to do anything that he's not going to empower us to accomplish.
2: Exactly. Right,
1: And it doesn't mean that it's going to be all uh, easy or simple or none of that. But on the other hand, it, it does mean that if he's called you to do it, then there's this power, this access to it that uh, that if you've called, you have the ability, the power to do that. Because uh, I would say, it's interesting you put it that way. I I found my journal not long ago when I went to Teen Mania, Guatemala, 16 years old, and found it uh, when we were moving around boxes, and I had this prayer in there of God, please don't send me to Africa.
2: Right. Yes. Just
1: please. I'll do anything. In fact, I remember even negotiating London with him. Okay, well, I can do a missionary if it's London. Like I'm sixteen, I'm 16. I don't know what any of that means. But now that I'm, I mean, my my children, this will show you how our lives have been the last few years. When we flew to Charleston a couple weeks ago, my kids couldn't figure out why we didn't have to clear customs.
0: Because they, they thought that's how you flew. Because like, wow. they've
1: been to Africa and Haiti and wherever. They're like, wait, you, we just walk out the door? This is easy, you know. But here's the thing. I, 16-year-old Darren didn't want to do that. 16-year-old Darren wasn't called to do that. Right. I wasn't empowered to do that. 35-year-old Darren was. So you could look at my life and see there's this like before and after moment. And I totally believe with all my heart that it is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That, and that if we don't access it, if we don't, then, uh, yeah, you're right. I don't know what it means to be taken away from. But maybe I'd put it this way. Why would you? Like, why why would you not access that? I mean, obviously, that's what they were doing. So right. maybe we should ask the church right. in Sardis. why weren't they? Yeah. So one example, I guess, that comes to mind, like
0: an analogy, is the fact that, like right now, we are in the middle of an expansion project at the church, and in the back where they're doing some some groundwork, they have they've hit stone, right? They've hit some rock. And uh, I don't think you
1: should tell me that while we're recording. I'm well, gonna, you, uh, know. you can
0: find me in a fetal position. I don't know any of this. So. Okay, I'm sorry. Go go go. No, it's an analogy. It's a metaphor. Okay. But they are they, they did hit some rock, hit some stone. That that word is the same word that they get the word dynamite from. Right. And so it's like they would have the ability to use dynamite to blast that rock, but they've chosen just to try to go at it with a with a pick or a hammer. (laughs) Mm. It's like ignoring the fact that there is a case of dynamite over there to blow this thing up, remove it or do it the really hard and really long way. And it's exhausting. And it's just like it's just an analogy. It's just a metaphor of us reminding ourselves that we've got all the power. We have the case of dynamite over there. But for whatever reason, in our humanity or in our selfishness or our pride, we, f- we think we can just do it on our own through, you know, blood, yeah. sweat and tears. And I always think of that when I hear that
1: the dunamis word, yeah. it's the root word for where we get dynamite.
2: That's good.
1: I don't think intellectually um, is the best way into the kingdom of God. Uh, he never asks us to check our brains at the door. So it's not that the opposite of that. But man, when you've had a supernatural experience with the Lord, a, a Holy Spirit moment in your life, mm-hmm. there is something super well supernatural about it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and I'm—I'm I'm feeling it even in our church last year, and now I'm feeling it even more that He—he he desires us to. I mean, He gave us this awesome thing, you know. I'm not going to leave you alone. So why do I? Why am I walking around like I'm alone? You know. I, one of the things that um, I've found even the last couple of weeks that so this, I'm actually embarrassed to admit this. Um, yeah, I'll admit it. I, I viewed prayer and sermon prep as two separate mutually exclusive activities. And uh, one of our elders challenged me, hey, dear, why not like when you're out mowing the lawn, why don't you just spend that time not with the podcast, but just praying in the spirit and then just see what happens. And so I'm out there on the lawnmower. Like, ah. And it was like in that moment, I'm like, wait, sermon like." Prayer is sermon prep. That's not an interruption of sermon prep. These are not mutually exclusive activities. That was a mind bender for me. And it was huge <laughs> because I desire, I don't desire that we could do the dog and pony show in our church. I don't desire that. But man, I desire to see lives changed. And when you talk to people, whether it's a place of hope coming out of addiction, when you talk to people who in Pakistan, right? Who, uh, When the Holy Spirit comes on them, something changes, an apocalypsis, so to speak, of what we're talking about in Revelation. And that's what this church here, they were doing some things really, really right, uh, but they were dead. And I just don't want to be... Like I don't want it to be weekend at de- Bernie's conduit version, right? Where we're just rolling out the church and be like, hey, look, it's a dead guy. You're like, nope, that's a yeah. You know, we're just gonna pretend like the church is alive all weekend. Put some sunglasses on us, mm-hmm. rolling Like I want it to be like alive, alive. Yeah. Like what he offered. So that's Sardis. That's the power.
2: We have to remember too, just to interject right here. It's a. It's about obedience.
1: Yeah, that's good. Thank you.
2: It's. We get caught up in, well, what I'm doing isn't as big or impactful to the kingdom or important or whatever. We start measuring, like, this is bigger than this and this is bigger than this. God doesn't do that. He says, I'm asking you to do something and it may feel like a very small thing to yeah. us, but we just say yes to that and stop comparing and yeah. stop measuring our walk with everyone else and just be obedient to that. And That's how that power is going to grow.
1: Yeah, I like that. And the power... Jesus said, "The power of the Holy Spirit, Acts one, is the power to be my witnesses." The very next church, Philadelphia, uh, the Greek word phileo, the no, it's brotherly love, the city of brotherly love, and the the message that he gives them is, that, you know, uh, this is he who holds the keys of David, who opens doors no one can shut, right, and what he shuts no one can open, and and those who believe that these. Uh, the churches represent a church in the prophetic calendar. Uh, as far as the church history, they actually refer to this one as the as the missionary church with William Carey in India. Like it's anathema to us now, but we forget that there was hundreds of years where churches did not send out missionaries. The, the hardcore neo whatever Calvinists would say, well, they weren't supposed to be saved anyway, so why would we go to why would we go to India? But William Carey, I think it's in 1800, and he goes to India, and this modern mission movement was born. And if there's one thing I know that God put on our heart, our church looks like this because God, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, did put this in my life. I'm telling you, by 35 years old, I could have given a crap about it. I would have told you I did, but you could have looked at my checkbook and looked at my my airline tickets and known that, oh, he doesn't care about the global mission at all. He moved on with his life. But the Lord did put it on my heart. And he talks about them, the open door, and, and the, the, which is the message of a church. If you're going to have that power... You know, I've uh, someone asked me once about you know uh, praying in, in in tongues, and is that uh, the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And my response was, um, I don't maybe Alpha does a better job than I do. Uh, is it, it is a sign, but if all I do if, if if a steam engine in the train, and all I do is sit in in the in the train station and honk the horn, then I've kind of missed the point of the power, and that is to get into the mission, into the front lines of the kingdom of God. We are literally a of Frontlines Church, and this is what Philadelphia was doing so well. Uh, talked about the synagogue of Satan. There was obviously persecution that was happening with them. But to those who, uh, I love this, I'm coming soon, verse 11. Conduits, specifically Conduit Church family, if you're listening to this, verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There is a crown for the woes who win souls. Now, does that mean you got to go pass out chick tracks like the way we have to google those again? I truly believe that if you are a part of a church that is ascending church, you get the same reward that those who have gone as if those who have sent. It's all That's why my daughter in the navy, it's it's a different mission or sorry, different position but the same mission. But that's what I want for our churches. If if they say anything about us when we get to heaven, I want us all going around, oh, you got the same crown. Well, same crown day. Like, it'd be like me, I'm matching. We're twinsies with our matching crowns. But this soul winning crown, to the one who's victorious, I'm going to make a pillar in the temple of my God and never again will they leave it. I'll write the name. Uh, just, I love all of that. Whoever has ears to hear, uh, let them hear what the Spirit says. Uh, I want to be a, a church that is doing this not out of by the way just to brag about it or to which is hard for us by the way on Sundays we try to tell people what we're doing because we're not doing it the church is doing it so we're trying to celebrate that without bragging about it but also not just camping out that way. now we can just congratulate ourselves and we're done now because we're doing this so awesome we can forget the other stuff and the power the love the truth you know all that stuff and so I think for us as a church, I want to experience it that way. Tracy, what like in your studies of this, what what did Philadelphia speak to you?
2: So, I think what stands out to me is the is open doors, open doors that no one will shut, shut mm. doors that no one will open. Um, I found that. Uh, when all of the talk was happening a couple of years ago with the refugees were all coming here and there was a lot of energy about um, people from other countries coming in, I had someone in the church say to me, isn't this exciting? We can't go to them, so God brings them to us.
0: (laughs) And it's like,
2: even if you want to, quote unquote, close your borders, God is saying, no, no, no. I have an open door for us to share the message and it doesn't matter what man does, if, if you wow. can't go to them, I'll bring them to you. And so it begins wow. to sort of open your mind to what actual mission can be because we really are such a diverse country. Like the mission field is across town. There's a mission field there for you. They take our passports. We can't travel because of coronavirus or whatever. That's okay because there's a mission field right across town.
1: Yeah, that's a really good uh when you think about um, if I'm a nationalist, that's a problem. But if I'm a missionist, this is glorifying. Like I, because you know, hard, it's hard to get into Muslim countries. Like they will kill you. The governments will arrest you. In Nashville, right now, in Nashville, Tennessee, one of the largest, if not the largest, Kurdish population in the United States lives down on Nolensville Road. The nations have come to us, and. You're right. Whether you have a passport to there or not, like we don't get to just sit still like this. And, and let me put it that we don't get to. We don't want to. Right. I I remember Dana uh, um, telling us from North Africa that, you know, she'd been held hostage by the Taliban for three months. And, you know, we were talking this has been a while back and and she uh, said, I said, well, what? so when all that was over, you know, people were throwing book deals at her and she all she wanted to do was go back. And I was like, why, Dana? And she said, because it's not fair that they don't know that Jesus loves them. It's not fair that these women are walking around in bondage and under these dark burkas, not because of a culture, but because of a religion that says, if you die and you are not good enough, you don't make it to heaven. The city of brotherly love is what our church ought to be about. It's a love for God and a love for for a fellow man. Which is why I think it's so cool that
0: it's, Philadelphia, brotherly love or sisterly love. It's not just a city of love to me, that brotherly sisterly speaks of community mm. speaks of going. Um, it's not a self love or a selfish love, something that we keep to ourselves. It's we are to go to our brother, to our sister and show that love. And I think yeah. it's just a, a built in reminder
1: yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is not like a bummer. Like if you love your neighbor, love your brother, like of course we'd want them to know. And of course, all of that without passion. Um, and Tracy, I appreciate it because that was a word you brought to the table when we were kind of praying through. Okay, what are these seven things and how could we sum them up in one word? And I was really struggling. Like, what's the word? And of course, then when you said it, I'm like, oh, duh, that's, that's truly the word. But passion, because the church at Laodicea, from the faithful witness, the true witness, Jesus, again, from chapter one, Jesus was the faithful witness. He's telling them, hey, you're, I just wish you were hot or cold. I don't want you in the middle. This, this lukewarm thing, you know, and, and if you if you don't make that decision, you don't figure it out, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Those are some pretty fascinating words from Jesus. And it's in this passage that he knocks on the door. And of course, I don't know how many altar calls I gave as a youth pastor. Jesus is knocking on your door tonight. And this is to a church. This wasn't to non-believers. This is to a church that says, hey, I want to come in and be with you in that kind of a relationship of of hospitality and eating with you. And so keeping Jesus on the outside of your church, um, someone said this once about the Holy spirit, but it's probably about Jesus too, that a lot of, maybe not a lot. If if your church, I'll put it this way. If the Holy spirit didn't show up this week at your church, would anybody actually know? Like the Holy spirit's left the building and you know, and this is sort of the same thing. Like if Jesus left the building, would anybody actually know because we're so busy, uh, with our, I know your deeds, you know. But I just wish you were one or the other. Uh, worst place to stand on a tennis court is uh, in the middle, because that's where the ball bounces. Take a position, front or back. We should tell our artists that all the time. Just don't, don't be squishy. Just take a position. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's scary sometimes, because you know you get in the line of fire uh, when you're taking the position. Um,
2: so Darren, when I was growing up, this this phrase you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm. Um, it. I'm not saying it was taught this. This was just my brain would hear that and I would reason that that meant either fully devote your life to me or completely reject me.
1: Hmm. Like yep. That's exactly how I would have experienced it, yeah.
2: That's how I heard that. And so it was like, but being on the fence, like Jesus hated you being on the fence. And so when as I got older, it's like, that's so dumb. Like He's not saying that. He, he would <laughs> rather you be on the fence than completely reject him. Like At least there, there's still the opportunity to say yes to him. Uh-huh. So in my just study of this, because of where Laodicea was, there was uh, Hierapolis. I yeah, might be not Hierapolis, saying that right. Yep. Am I saying that yep. right? And they had hot springs.
0: Thermal springs.
2: Thermal springs. Mm-hmm. And then there was Colossae which had the very cold mountain water water and but these would flow and merge in laodicea and it was lukewarm water that's not cool and refreshing to drink nor is it hot and like hot springs like healing water quote unquote it was useless water Mm -hmm. and so he's saying you're you're just you're not doing anything
1: you're useless. Yeah. I, I, I like I, I like the way that you've worded that. Like, you, wh- while you're on the fence, there's still a chance. <laughs> like, you're still in the game. Right. With it. And that invitation uh, wasn't to, uh, which I love, is not, okay, go harder, go harder, go colder, go colder. It's, just open the door and let me in. Like, that's what it meant to be hot or cold. Because he says it. I, I open the door and let me. I want to come in and I want to eat with you. I want... It's not I want to come in and shame you. It's not I want to come in and beat you over the head. But I am leaving you the choice. Are you going to open the door or are you not going to open the door? He's not going to force himself on us. And that's the goodness of of God. It's it's what grace is. is He's so good. Uh, He loves us so much that he would not force himself in because then it's not love. It's spiritual rape. And that's not who Jesus is. He says, "If you I come, I want to be in there with you. I want." And in Middle Eastern culture, that's a the eating is a big deal. You walk in the house, and especially in North Africa, Arab countries still are like that. It's like the beaches of Normandy with food. They just wave after wave of food, and and you sit on the floor, and it's this very very personal thing. And what Jesus is asking for is a very, very personal relationship with us to share our lives with him. He has shared his life with us, and I'm inviting you now. Would you share yours with me? And, uh, and when
2: you have that kind of relationship with him, then it's passion. Yeah. It's, it, then everything you do is an outpouring of his love for you, and you love everyone around you, and you can't help yes. but have a passionate life for him.
1: And we need that now more than ever. One of the things that was intriguing to me about this is the etymology of Laodicea. There's different little layers or whatever. Well, I guess you can put this in the show notes. But the idea, the laity, you know, is the people and the Dicea part is actually just like common justice, uh, social justice. Like that's. Uh, not to put too fine of a point on it, but that's kind of what that city was. We want everybody to be on the same page, we want everybody to be equal and everybody, which by the way, all sounds really great, Um, except that if it's without Jesus, and that's your house as common justice, if your house is communism, if your house is socialism, and there's no Jesus in it, history has shown out over and again how that goes, and it goes very poorly. Um, and to you guys that are listening right now, maybe you're millennial and you're hearing, hey, socialism sounds so great. Know that without Jesus in the middle of it, we were watching it happen in our streets right now. Like when they when, when they set up like Chaz or whatever in Seattle, like mm-hmm. first thing they do is you set up a border. Uh, the next thing you, you put law enforcement in place and you are keeping people out we're like that's but that's but that's what you do. And somebody has to make that decision. And in social justice or in communism or whatever, capitalism, any one of them, by the way, without Jesus is a lukewarm place and he will spit it out of his mouth. But you invite Jesus into that, then of course we would give. That's what the early church did. They gave all their stuff away. Not because somebody forced them to, but because the Holy Spirit empowered them to. They had invited Jesus in to dine with them. And because of that, they saw people in need. And because of that, they gave. I mean, it's, we'll run out of money long before uh, the world runs out of need, which is why even these conversations about, well, we need to take all the billionaires down and take all their money. You can. And that money will be gone by Tuesday and there'll still be two billion starving people. And it didn't solve any of those problems.
2: Yeah. Jesus said, you will always have the poor.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I I, I think That what he says is true. Uh,
1: Yeah. uh, yeah, (laughs) I I,
2: believe that literally.
1: uh, Yeah. It's funny. I got uh, a long time ago, I got kind of my chops busted by somebody because, you know, Bono uh, made some statement about how we can defeat poverty. And I was like, "Mm, nope, that's I mean, unless Jesus is wrong and I'm not prepared to go there yet, uh, then that's just. And here's why, because poverty is a symptom of sin, extreme poverty. And when you talk about systems in any country out there, as long as there are systems in place where there are men without Jesus, if as long as there are Laodiceans out there ruling it without Jesus, there will always be injustice. And then injustice will mean that that person didn't get that share, their food, they weren't allowed. whatever. Whatever happened, that poverty will be with them, which is why I love, 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 love Jesus. It's like... He just had such a heart for them and it's such an upside down in his kingdom, the poor and the powerless, the last will be first. That if you're last this side of heaven, I, I look sometimes at my friends in Haiti and I feel sorry for them. But the longer I've been at it, I'm feeling pretty good about them right now because I know that I'm going to be mowing their lawn in heaven for like a thousand years. Like a, Jesus sees them. He's not going to uh, forget them and, and will continue to to, uh, to feed and to clothe as he's called us to do. But we'll do it with Jesus in the middle of it, because if all I've done is gone and drilled a well, then I've left a group of people who are still hopeless, who still are giving away their chickens to the voodoo priests, who are still beating their wives, who are still keeping their kids out of school. All those things that even a sinful world would do. But you invite Jesus into that, and man, lives are changed. And so for this week, those are the last four. We just covered them. Uh, We covered We'll we'll actually cover them a little bit on Sunday. As far as uh, maybe not quite as deep, but if if you're listening right now, um, I would ask you very much so to think. uh, Tracy's language: Are you on the fence? Uh, Pick a position. You're still in the game. You know, if you woke up six feet above the ground today, you are still in the game. Uh, Jesus wants you to have that relationship with him if you are a church if you are a christian and you're feeling like oh, i'm still on the fence you know you still you're still in the game too take a position this week go back and look at these the power the love the the the, the truth all those things that a jesus church is because i would say then a jesus church is just a bunch of jesus people coming together acting like jesus together so this has to be in all of our lives as well Tracy this is uh, I'm glad you're here we're going to have you back great back. Good. she's one of us and we don't have you okay. back like you're one of yeah. us uh, Tracy's been helping us with our, uh, our, our sermon prep she's a great Bible teacher how can we find you online or find your books or your stuff
2: uh, thanks for asking. So you can find me. Uh, I have a ministry page on Facebook. It's Tracy Rogers Ministry, and I also have a website um, by the same name. And you could also send me an email at info at com.
1: Got it. And then we'll drop a link in there as well if they didn't get it down. And so you guys, thank you. It's the, This hour always goes really fast. Mm, absolutely. Look Mo look forward to it every week. People that are listening, what should they do to help us spread the word on this
0: you can always find us at conduitchurch.com, and all you have to do is search our goofy church name, Conduit, yeah. into about any podcast search or uh, just into the Google, and any, anything Conduit will, will pop up. And make sure to leave a comment or leave a uh, review, even on our podcast, just to help us get some more, some more listeners. We are excited to get this podcast out to folks, and uh, yeah, conduitchurch.com will have all your information there, too.
1: All right. You guys, thank you for listening. Uh, If you're in the Nashville area, we'd love to see you this Sunday. Uh, Three services. We're registering uh, and man, pray for all that we, man, there are God, Jesus churches all over Middle Tennessee, all over the world. Be praying for pastors like us uh, to be making these decisions. We do pray for North Point and for the bridge and for all the churches that God is doing things in that that he can be glorified and we'll all come in it together in unity. So we love you guys. God bless you. And we will see you next time.